If you have your Bible with you, you can grab it and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start there. If you look in those Bibles that are in front of you, it'll be page 950. Uh, If you have your own Bible, it'll be somewhere in the New Testament. So you get through the Gospels and then Acts and Romans and Corinthians. And then there's those small letters that are hard to remember. But if you remember, girls eat potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Okay, so I learned that from my wife, by the way. Uh, That was great. Uh, Girls eat potato chips. So Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 12 together. Um, I don't have any fancy uh, water or baking soda tricks for us this morning. Uh, So let's just head right into verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Hey, Hunter, would you mind following along with those uh, slides that have the passage on for me? Thanks, I can't do both at the same time. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I'm going on to living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as for the faith, of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that 
by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I am still that I still have. We're going to focus in on a couple of those last verses, and actually, we're going to focus in on verse twenty-nine that you can see on the screen. God has given us two things. Is what this section of Philippians is sharing with us, that Paul is sharing with us. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. It has been granted to you. It is a gift to you because of Christ that you will believe in him. A gift that God gives you right now is the gift of faith, the gift of belief in who Jesus is and what he has done. It's that spirit-imparted knowledge within us that we can trust Jesus, not because just we've, we've read about him and we're theological savvy, because we can be theologically savvy and we can know everything about the Bible and we could still not have belief. God's gift to us as those who, who are here is that we would truly believe in his word and trust him fully. By God, we're able to recognize Jesus as our our Savior, the one who has delivered us and given us a new relationship with God. And then comes the second gift. But also to suffer for him. We're looking at this particular passage because it might be kind of striking. What does it mean that we're supposed to suffer him. When we, when we think about suffering, that doesn't seem like something we want, and surely we don't head into certain things asking to experience adversity and asking to, to suffer. But Paul himself was pretty familiar with all manners of suffering, you could say. You know, if we think about all of Paul's life, Before he met Christ, he had a pretty good life. He was born into the right family. He had all the right heritage. He he was considered a Pharisee, a a someone, an individual who knew the law well. Sometimes when when you hear um, or call someone a Pharisee in the New Testament, it's often not a good thing. But in reality, at that point in time, the Pharisees were were good people, devout, and studied the word. He was someone who was respected. He was someone who was looked upon well. He had good social status. He was a blameless person. He was a a rule follower. He had a pretty good life. And then, then Paul was gifted with meeting Christ. And his life really got kind of flipped around. Here's, here's some of the things that his life would include after meeting Christ and being now devoted to the gospel of spreading the good news to the gentle, Gentile people. Paul was falsely accused on numerous occasions. 
he was nearly lynched by a religious mob and he would be left for dead. He would be beaten because he claimed Roman citizenship. He was uh, shipwrecked, not once, not twice, but three times. And maybe even they think there could be a fourth time where he was shipwrecked. He would be insulted and he would be shamed. When he was finally brought to Rome, which is where he's writing this letter from, he would arrive with the other condemned people. He would be waiting over two years for his appeal to be considered. He was imprisoned. Suffering for him was the way of Christianity. It was something that was just a given that if you are going to challenge that Jesus is Lord rather than saying Caesar is Lord, you are going to encounter problems and people that disagree with you. If you say that Jesus is Lord amongst Jews who believe that Jesus was not Lord, you are going to encounter some trouble. And so as he writes this letter to the Philippian people, the Philippian people are are worried about him. They write him, and now this is his response back. He dearly loves all the people in Philippi, and, and, and he, he wants to encourage them and, and share with them uh, so they can set their mind at ease that what is happening, that this adversity and this suffering and these things that Paul continues to go through are a part of God's plan. That belief in Christ and suffering with Christ are two gifts, two things that all Christians will experience. And one of those two things typically runs contrary to our mind. The suffering piece. Perhaps... Perhaps we as a church, as a body of believers, need to increase our theology of suffering and what it looks like to go through suffering, to recognize that suffering and adversity is truly a part of life. There's, there's other traditions that have developed that theology of suffering a little bit more, most of the time because they themselves have encountered Suffering. One of the ways we could encounter suffering or we could think about it is through this Christian martyrdom, dying for the faith. That was part of what Paul was facing, but it's something that Nigerian Christians face each and every day today. Might surprise you, or maybe it won't, more Christians were martyred in 2020 in Nigeria than Christians that died of COVID. More Christians died each and every day than those who died from a disease that was ravaging the whole world. If you go back five years, a Christian would be martyred every four hours in Nigeria. Every four hours. Another life was lost. Christian martyrdom. Maybe they have a, a better idea of suffering, suffering at the hands of Boko Haram. 
But maybe you would consider, well, being killed for the faith, Pastor Steve, that's a little extreme, right? That's, that's a little too far. We don't experience that. We're in this world where we have religious freedom, and I think that's why we don't really understand suffering very well. We live in a world where we have certain freedoms, in, in, or a country, I should say. We have certain freedoms that allow us to worship, that allow us to have beliefs, that allow us to have those without really any consequence. And I wonder, wonder then, what does, what does suffering look like in our context if it's, not, if it's not being martyred for the faith? Even though Paul would say, Paul would say to live is Christ, to die is gain, to even to, to die for Christ, that's a good thing. What, what are the ways in which we would experience suffering today. Pastor uh, David Platt would summarize suffering in this way. When those things we want, love and desire and enjoy, those things that are often really good things, are taken away from us. Then some examples here. We suffer when we lose someone we love. Oftentimes we call that grief when that individual has passed away, when we, we suffer when we lose someone that we love, when, when they decide they don't want to speak to us anymore, and they, they decide they don't want to be friends with us, you could say. That's, that's another way. We, we suffer when we lose our own health or when, when a disease somehow takes hold of, of ourself or a disease takes hold of our loved one. We, we suffer when we experience debilitating pain. We, we suffer, you could say, when, when jobs are lost or when companies need to reorganize or when companies go bankrupt. We suffer when, when our safety is threatened or even, even taken away. We suffer. And, and we can suffer in, a, in a, a variety of ways. Some of those ways are, are ways that are largely out of our control. People, people suffer from, from storms ripping apart homes, suffer from earthquakes happening, suffering from, from wars that they don't necessarily have anything to do with. But there's a, another type of suffering, too. We can suffer from the decisions that we have ourselves made. We suffer from bad, the consequences of poor life choices. And we can suffer because of uh, the decisions that others have made. And yet, you could say in all these ways where we experience suffering and adversity and, and, and hardship, that may be so minuscule in comparison to what Paul's actually experiencing, where he is experiencing this possibility of being martyred to the faith, he is somehow able to find joy, find a way to encourage someone else when he himself is in a dire situation. Paul, Paul does not sit in his prison, whether he's in a cell or he would be in a house imprisonment. He's not sit there saying, woe is me. All these things that have happened to me. Instead, 
Instead, he writes this. This is from 2 Corinthians somewhere. Uh oh. There we go. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's using these moments of adversity, these moments of suffering to identify his life with that of Christ, to identify with with the suffering Christ. Jesus didn't come to the world and and demand to be glorified. He didn't didn't kind of push his way through and, and demand to take the place of Caesar Instead, he came in as a, a suffering servant, one who was willing to, to take upon insult and injury and hardship, knowing that by taking on those things, he would overcome them and rise and create a new relationship for those who would follow and believe. Paul uses moments of hardship and adversity and suffering to identify with Christ an opportunity to glorify Christ even in those situations. That's the difference between happiness and joy, you could say, that Mindy was talking about earlier. Joy doesn't necessarily mean that that you're happy all the time, but that joy flows from a security in Christ that recognizes that all things will work together for the good of our salvation. Doesn't necessarily mean that life will be easy, but for the good of our salvation in our future. And so Paul, even in the midst of being in jail and and being persecuted and and waiting two years for, for his appeal to happen, instead of saying, woe is me, he really says he's gonna start getting to work. He's going to continue to do the same thing that he he was called to do, which was to preach Christ, preach Christ to the Gentiles. And he would actually say that, that his purpose of evangelizing in Rome was actually advanced in this time that he was in jail. He would say, it's further along. We're a lot further along than we, we would have been if I had not been in this situation. And it's because if you're in jail, naturally you're going to be involved in, in, in interacting with prison guards, Roman citizens, Roman soldiers. These soldiers often would promote, you could say, the gospel of Caesar, that Caesar is Lord and, and the good news that Caesar is on the throne and that life will change because of Caesar. But now here comes Paul to teach them a new gospel, not one that says Caesar is Lord, but one that says Christ is Lord, and that Christ will truly bring peace and justice to the world, announcing a different gospel. And those individuals that he interacted with, those soldiers, those imperial guards, took to that message. 
And they, they started hearing that message. And in, in this chapter, we heard that they would even begin preaching about this message, some of them sincerely, but some of them kind of falsely with false motives. And even that, Paul says it's a good thing because the gospel is preached. The people couldn't ignore the message when Paul was rubbing their noses in it every time he saw them. Paul sees the fruit of the message of the gospel is that suffering with Christ is something that honors Jesus. That our, our suffering in our, in our difficulty, that when we, we walk through it in a worthy manner, we are honoring Christ by our very life. And he's telling the Philippian folks to, to, to follow his lead. Live a life worthy. Whatever happens, that's referring back to whether he, he is, is going to continue to live or, or if he's going to end up perishing. Whatever happens in my life and, and whatever happens in your life, continue to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You can't really see it in here. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. The actual word uh, is used as, um, now I forgot and I don't have it written down, so we won't go there. But it's also the root word of, of politics. It's the, the root word for polis, which is city. So conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the way you would live in your citizenship. The way you would live in the place that you're living. And now the question is, okay, is he talking about heavenly citizenship or is he talking about earthly citizenship? How is it that you're supposed to be conducting your life in a manner worthy? We're conducting our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then we're going to conduct it in a way that would be worthy of us living in heaven, right? And we do that exactly everywhere we are. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ as you live here in Michigan. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ and, and what he calls us to in heaven while we live here in Kentwood or Grand Rapids or Byron Center or Cut Cutlerville or I don't know where everyone's from. All of the area and towns in a manner worthy of Christ. It's a message for us in the midst of our daily life when we encounter those adversities, when we encounter those things that are difficult. There's some folks that would say that the American church is going to be experiencing an increasing amount of persecution. I can't really speak to that. I can't really see into the future. I, have, I don't know how to probably have a prophetic voice in that way. But I can speak to the fact that Christ calls us to follow his road. Paul said we would get two gifts. One is belief in Christ and one is suffering with him. So naturally, yes, we will experience suffering. It might not be Christian martyrdom like those in Nigeria, but it will likely be some small and some significant ways in which we lose that which we love. Paul invites us to, to step into those experiences, to, to walk through those 
hardships and those difficulties and those unpleasant things that we would give glory and honor to Christ, joining with him in his suffering to live a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called in all situations that we encounter. I think if we, if we follow and we, we embrace these two gifts that we've been given, the, the gift of belief and the gift of suffering, it will develop a certain character in our life. And it, and it says it in verse 27 and 28, And so we're going to start uh, at then. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as for the one faith of the gospel. And then the next verse. Without being frightened. If, If we follow along and embrace these two gifts that God has given us, by way of Christ, the belief in Christ and recognizing that we will suffer along with Christ. By the power of the Spirit, we can do that without being frightened. God gives us a fearlessness when we embrace what is happening. A fearlessness that for Paul would say, well, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Whatever is going to happen to me in the future, this is Christ is going to be glorified in this. We will not fear like Paul and, and like others who, who face life-ending experiences when suffering comes in our way because the Spirit will will draw close to us. The Spirit of comfort. The Spirit of peace. The Spirit who empowers our very being. We will not fear because we are secure no matter what happens. We are secure through our belief in Christ that this world is not the end. That, that we too will one day, like Paul says, be able to be with Christ, which is much better. We will not fear because Christ is glorified in how we live. We will suffer. When we're on this journey, we will suffer, sometimes in small, sometimes in large, but we we walk into that without fear. For the Lord is the one who is upholding us. It's the Spirit who strengthens us. It's the Spirit who who can can sustain us even as we go through those things like Paul did. Times where maybe our character has been defamed, you could say. Where, Where we have encountered adversity. Where people have spoken insults. Maybe when people have beaten us. Maybe not physically, but maybe emotionally and spiritually. We do not fear as we go through there. Because it's the Lord. It's the Lord who will strengthen us. It's the Lord who will strengthen us with a fearlessness that can look past the present day sufferings, look past the present day adversity, and on to a life where he is glorified and he is honored and he is praised and all will worship him. Let us join our hearts in prayer. 
Lord, we, we know that suffering comes in such a wide-ranging way. Lord, we, we pray for those who are experiencing suffering right now, those who are experiencing adversity because they call on your name. We pray for Christians in countries that are, are not accepting of Christianity, where they need to be careful about who they let know they believe in Christ. We pray that you would strengthen them as you say that they would be strengthened by the one spirit and towards the one purpose that you have given them. Protect them and and keep them safe. Give them your fearlessness, your comfort, which causes the gospel to continue to be proclaimed in all places. Lord, we we pray for those who who suffer on, on different levels, Lord, that your spirit, too, would give them a security that you truly are with them, that though they feel alone, that that they are not alone. They are surrounded by many believers and in your spirit within them. Guide us through each day that we could live fearlessly, promoting your word and your life as our Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.